Listeners, welcome back to The Business of Wellness. This is maybe, possibly, officially my 95th time attempting to record this intro. So I am just going to get right to it in the hope that this one ends seamlessly. I am your host, Jacqueline London. I'm a registered dietitian, brand and product consultant, and author, and I have a phenomenal guest with me today. Her name is Adriana Bevilacqua. She goes by AG, so you'll hear me um, refer to her as both throughout the course of the interview. She is the chief creative officer at Mbooth, which is a global PR and marketing agency in New York specializing in consumer products. And we talk about a number of different topics. I absolutely love this interview. We chat we go into a, a major deep dive about what it means to have a versatile and diverse media diet and why it fosters creativity at work and compassion in the rest of our lives. We talk about the future of AI and food and beverage in uh, in and for consumer products and consumer brands. We also go into Adriana's, um, her, her trend report that she published at the beginning of the year that I absolutely loved. And I asked her a number of questions about some of the trends that she highlighted and identified. And we spoke a lot about where she thinks brands are headed, what she thinks the future of media and marketing looks like, who, which brands are killing it right now and which ones are kind of missing the mark. And I just, I loved every part of this conversation. So if you enjoyed as much as I do, or did rather, please feel free to share a review, leave a five-star rating. You guys know how much I appreciate these. I read every single one and I would love to hear from you. Also, please feel free to reach out on social media at Jacqueline London RD on most platforms and at Jacqueline London on TikTok. And feel free to say hi in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube now. I would love to hear from you. So please stay in touch. Enjoy the episode with Adriana Bevilacqua. Okay, Adriana, please tell, tell me again, tell me again, what is the expression that you just used? So the expression <laughs> and a friend, I, I always have to give people credit for terms. It's a, it's a big part of um, I think sharing, right? Kind of giving the credit back to people. My friend Amber shared this with me and she said, don't you think we're like all defrosting? And I said, that captures the sentiment perfectly. Like into the new year, we've defrosted after the holidays. Yes. We're feeling very post-COVID and kind of ready to kind of dive back in. Um, I know everyone's kind of in a different stage of that defrosting. For me, I've, I'm sort of have been defrosted now for a bit. Um, yes. Feeling like I've totally re-entered life with a new perspective. Yes. But for for sure. Can I ask you on that on that note? Can I ask you something? Do you have a feel about hybrid? working? Do you feel like it's better for your job or do you feel like it's better for you to be around your team all the time? I think that we're never going back. And when I say we, yeah. I mean, you know, I work yes, collectively. Obviously. So marketing, yeah. comms, brand. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to be in a five day, you need to be here mode. And I think that benefits different people in different ways. As a working mom, I have two littles. It certainly is great for me to have the mm. flexibility. Um, but for some people, I think the flexibility, and I'm one of them can be a little bit of a trap if I'm being candid because yes. I'm like, okay, CCO job, you know, at a, at a big marketing yeah. firm, um, a lot of clients and staff and things I need to look after, right. In my day job, I'm thinking I need to do. And then my kids get home. They're like, can you cut up the apples for me? Um, and I do have like, some, oh my God. some help, you know, kind of baked into our life, which is a game changer, but I'm sort of like also when I'm home, I have a little bit of that. I'm like also a stay at home mom energy. And I'm like, yeah, women, 
it, yes, it's a privilege to have the flexibility, but it can also be a trap of all of a sudden I'm compressing the day of like a mom that's at home dedicated to her kids and somebody who has real responsibilities to an organization or a business mm -hmm. into the same timeline. Um, so sometimes those streams get, you know, create kind of a lot of pressure at the same time. Um, so for me and in my role as chief creative officer, it's important to be hybrid and to spend some time in the office with people, with clients mm -hmm. as we're kicking off the year. Um, you know, the question I keep asking myself and, you know, my colleagues and my team, it's like, we've proven we can work from home. We right. can do it, but do we want to? And is that right. what's the best for the future um, for our mental health, for our collaboration, for our business? And that's kind of, I feel like the question of the hour we can, but do, do we want to all the time anyway? Um, mm -hmm. So that's been kind of rattling around the mind. Among many other thoughts as we kind of. Yes. You know, what is, is interesting about what you said is that I have given less, well, not even, not even really that, but I, I feel like there is the expectation around um, flexibility is that initially it seemed so glorious, right? Like is that there's a component of it beyond all of the, the other stressors and the added layers of the pandemic. I mean, just the, the hybrid work-life balance sort of thing had its own challenges, but it also had its own freedoms. And now I think that the hardest thing about the quote unquote flexibility is like, it's actually not that flexible because now you have not only what you were saying about the compressing two different roles into one, into the same hours of the same day, but it's also the thought that goes into the planning ahead for everything you're going to need to do. Like I, like the worst thing is, is now feeling like you left. And yet if you had worked at home, you somehow, like, I, I would imagine there's like a, another added layer of the frustration around commuting or the frustration around leaving something at home that in your homework station was all set up for you or like, all of that other stuff. I'm so with you. I'm like between two ferns. If you right. see me at the M booth offices, I'm like malfunctioning. I mean, I love being there, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm turning into my mother. I literally like, where's my phone? Can someone call it? Yes. Everyone's like AG. Yes. Everyone calls me AG, by the way. Um, I like that. It's kind of a nickname. My maiden name is Giuliani. So Adriana, mm. now Bevilacqua, AG, Bevilacqua. Um, but it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, where's my hat? Did you see my scarf? Do you have a charger? It's pretty, it's pretty funny. It definitely feels uh, like there's a little friction there. So I'm a little rusty, yes. um, but really trying yeah. to, to dive in. I had a lunch with somebody recently um, who I was really close with earlier in my career and, you know, different paths, but always mm. stayed in touch and really admire this, this person. And we were talking about like the in-person versus the not in-person. Like we could have yeah. jumped on Zoom, right? right. But there is some signal yes. to me that is sent by somebody who is like, I'm taking time to get on the subway to see you. Like to me, there is something communicated there that's relational. It's like, I'm invested in you. You matter enough to me that I could, you know, get in a cab, take a bus to see a you. A thousand percent. Commuting time because you matter. Yes. Um, so I, I'm not underestimating in that you know, moving forward. Of course we can't podcast in person, but, um, you know, that idea of being together and that investment of time and just emotional energy that that, yeah. takes, I think signals something about how you feel about somebody and what that relationship means to you. So I, I do think that that's an underused tool right now. And I, I think we'll see people thinking about that, um, you know, into the future and, and using that in, you know, ways to express the level of a relationship, right? Mm. This off Zoom, we're taking this for real drinks. Um, I love that. I yeah, love so that. It's such to a good point. For sure. It also really has corrupted our whole sense of, of time. 
you know, like it, it's, I still feel like the struggles of how long does it take to get X activity done is still a big question mark. And I, I mean, personally, I feel like I've probably always struggled with that. <laughs> it's like, I will always say something takes like 20 minutes when actually it could be three days or three hours. <laughs> right, due to taking off the list. And like, for right. me, it's again, back into the trap of like being home and the role that I'm in in my family. It's like, I'm literally on a conference call really discussing important things. I'm emptying a dishwasher. I'm like, I'm going to yes. go. And it's like, again, I shouldn't have to do those at the same time. Right. <laughs> like I deserve, I deserve the moment to sit and like, just have my call yeah. and focus maybe with a cup of tea. And then I should be able to take that, you know, six minute break. But again, the streams come together, time mm. feels compressed. Um, and it's, it's an interesting one. I also have noticed too, like, on my commute to work, even though I'm in the city and I work in the city, it's on a long commute, but like there is an inspiration and a serendipity. That yes. Happens. Yes. Like when I was so true, my commute, like when I was younger, like before I got married, like brought me like an important insight, which is that like, if the coffee man in the cart speaks nicer to me than the guy I'm dating, the guy's done. Yes. A thousand I percent. Had this great, great lesson. <laughs> but it's like just like those little like insights and thoughts from encountering people you might not come across. You see, a cool yes. woman with like an awesome bag. And you're like, I need that in my life. You know, you see a cute stranger totally. during my single days, I have to say, you know, you're yes. like getting the vibe from them <laughs> on the bus. Like whatever that is, you see the new restaurant that opened. Right. Um, you see somebody wear a scarf in a, a cool way. Like we're just literally constantly absorbing. And I think sometimes when we're at home, instead of absorbing, mm. we're consuming, then we're consuming media. We're on our phones, yes. with the TV. Um, and it is obviously less of that kind of serendipity that can happen around you. So I enjoy that serendipity. So for me, the to I feel like a long way to answer your question is I think hybrid for me works probably best. And I think in advertising, marketing, branding, comms, mm -hmm. PR world, you will see agencies try to really find that sweet spot with staff this year. That's such a good point. Such a good point. Okay. All right. All right. Let's We've got, to, we've got to really get into the meat of some things, but I'm, I'm going to use two words I'm definitely using moving forward, include defrosting and serendipity, because I don't use that one enough. I'm usually referring to the hot chocolate, the frozen hot chocolate, which is sad, sad for me. But I mean, listen, okay, a lot of my life is about food. It feels like I can, I can make a, a, a tie-in to a frozen hot chocolate, kind of in your neighborhood, if I, if I may say. Okay. But let's switch gears. I want to talk about, before we get into some real meaty topics, tell us about your your life as chief creative officer at Booth. What does that mean? What does it mean to be chief creative officer? Besides being a little hard for me to say, tell us. <laughs> awesome. So I have a super talented team. We have a huge creative team at Booth. Um, I started there eight years ago. It was me and another woman, Lauren, who's amazing. And it was like, I had 75% of her time. Um, and then over the years, we have built up to a full service creative agents, agency and team. We have 52 people. So I have so many talented, just like practitioners and thinkers around me. So it's, you know, my role, yes, I'm the lead, but it really is a collective energy, brain and mindset and collaboration that gets us to the work we get to. So definitely want to say mm. that. But my main role, and I think probably my special sauce for the team is that um, I'm always, I think the most important work we can do is not just look at the past, but also really look to the future. And so for 
to get to creative ideas, you need to talk about something that's like a real truth or something that's new or something that people haven't heard it before or haven't heard it said that way before. So I have really developed over the past 20 years um, really a craft around trend spotting and kind of forecasting and prediction. And it's so funny because if like you look back in your life, I'm like, actually, it's always sort of like been there, right? It's always what I right. love to do. Right. Those are the things I have loved yeah. to read. Um, creating words, creating themes, new ideas through words, framing things in a way that people could understand. But I think to look at trends is really to sort of start to see the future. And when you're working with brands and large organizations, they need to know what's happening, not just now, but next right. in order to figure out, you know, how do we position your brands in a way that brings value? How do we position your brand also in a way that brings integrity, right? To, to the community, to your category, to your consumers and to culture at large. So yeah. I would say probably like 60% of my time at work is really like unpacking culture and helping our clients figure out how do you navigate the culture right now? How do you find your authentic place in it as a brand? Obviously in a way that advantages the brand, but also brings value to people. Um, and to me, that's actually how you get to great ideas is yes. through the examination of trends, unpacking the why behind trends. And that's really how you get to insights and ideas. So I'm constantly sort of looking at what's next, reading about what's next, um, digesting podcasts, reading you know, interesting yeah. color books um, and, you know, watching things that are not in the mainstream, examining subcultures to sort of figure out what are those next signals? What are, what's bubbling mm -hmm. up? Not now, but what's happening? What's the next thing after quiet quitting, right? Not right. About what everyone's talking about, but figuring out where is that conversation going? I really, I really could not be more excited to, to spend this time together. I just want to say that. I just want to say that again. I know I said it already, but it just makes me that much more excited. Can you, can you give us, can you give us a good, like, what's a media diet snapshot oh look like for you? I did, I didn't prepare you for this one. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't prepare her for this one. So like, so it can be totally top of mind, like something that you regularly listen to a book you read recently, anything you want to say here is really fair game. Yeah. There's no oh wrong my, answer. Oh my God. Um, I think, well, it's also changed. I will just say that because I think what's like a little bit interesting about media now is like mm. the more things you look for, then you get, you get fed the same thing. Yes. So I was, working on, agree. I was working on a client and we were dealing with a lot around mental health. So I was doing a lot of searches around it and I have been served everything about the vagus nerve, mm -hmm. that, any vagus nerve. <laughs> content is coming my way anything about anxiety and it's interesting to see it there obviously there's a you have to sift through the you know what's real yeah what's credentialed versus what is just someone creating this stuff for clicks but in the world we're we're in i think you almost need to be extra intentional to seek out the things um that are interesting to you so i mean some of the things that i consider for me almost like a bible that i always mm -hmm. always read are the New York Times, mm. obviously, mm -hmm. I usually start at the back and work my way to the front. I like that technique. Yes. <laughs> um, and I also, I do read the Wall Street Journal. I also read, you know, a lot of like the basic newspapers. I think it's fascinating to see like a story and like the different perspectives, yes. you know, that are being fed into it. Um, I love a lot of like women's focused media and mm. even getting news on places like Instagram. Betches Enterprise, I love. Shout I love out their whole brand. Betches. I really think their brand has evolved in such a beautiful way. 
It's yep. amazing. It's amazing. Betches moms and a lot of like the sub, the mm-hmm. sub um, kind of communities within Betches is great. I love Refinery29 Unbothered that mm. is centered around um, black and multicultural women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, understanding that, you know, I'm not necessarily part of that community. I support that community and I love to hear the voices, not in a voyeuristic way, but just to kind of like learn. I love yeah. to even just like read the comments and see, you know, those same perspectives. Um, you know, of consumers, how are they engaging in stories that that that's po- that are posted there versus things that are in sort of like I say in quotes the mainstream news? So love to just see the different takes from different communities as they kind of digest and unpack cultural happenings. Mm-hmm. So women's media um, is important to me. I do read Vogue. I do read Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Always read New York Magazine. And then I have sort I of. I mean, some- here she is. I'm sitting in front of it. I, it's just. I mean, there's something, a friend of mine, I don't know if you feel like this, but a friend of mine just said to me recently, I just resubscribed to a number of different print publications. And I was like, uh, and, and I basically did the exact same thing, which is to hold up this issue that I'm sitting in front of that I don't even remember subscribing to, but here we are. I, I Do you feel like that's, is that a part of, is this all digital or are you going like, sometimes it's audio, sometimes it's print? Yeah. I mean, the things that I get print, I get the New Yorker print. Mm-hmm. I love I love to read the New Yorker. That's like bath time fun for me. I do write poetry a little bit on the side. So Mm -hmm. I love to sort of read more of like the creative writing um, from there. So New Yorker is definitely another one. And there are some publications that I do get. Another one um, is The Drift. And this is one that's sort of Mm -hmm. bubbling up. A few women, I believe from Columbia Young Women started this publication. And it is a very interesting take on the intersection of politics, culture, gender. They Mm -hmm. publish it, I think, every other month and it's just like this beautiful like little treasure i get Mm. in the mail and that and i'm happy to support them because it's you know it's it's new media but it looks like old media and then listening to a lot of like sub stacks and not necessarily people that align with all of my political views yeah um some people that may be criticized by some of the mainstream media but like there's a woman named Barry Weiss. You know her? Well, I let free press is in my inbox. I'm, con- I'm going soup to nuts down the whole thing. I, I mean, I'm here for yeah, it. The I, raw I, milk article is like maybe worth a podcast topic. But yes, yeah, anyway. But I, I have been following her stuff. I don't agree on everything for what it's worth, but I really do appreciate the conversation. Yes. Um, and obviously she's super brainy and all that yeah. stuff. I love to support women writers and journalists. So yeah. um, also looking in what I call like kind of outside voices, people that are outside mm-hmm. of the mainstream and just kind of, again, entertaining those perspectives, whether I agree or disagree. I think it's, you know, really important to, um, you know, I think it's really important to absorb that and try to like look at the, those different perspectives. Um, you know, streaming, of course, there's, you know, everyone's watching uh, Jenny and Georgia, but I think you need to be careful with this, again, what's being just served to you because yes. it is based on what you already know and already right. like. So it's becoming harder to find things outside of like the norm, you know, of what to absorb. And then we're all reading and watching the same things and that's no fun. So yeah. I do a lot of like PBS masterpiece theater. Sometimes I'm, you know, watching the BBC international news wow. um, as well, just for, just for other perspectives, um, you know, just for a different plot line, something else to sort of, to sort of chew on. So yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a slice. My husband's I like, get off the that. phone. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta finish I it. can't. No, yeah. I have to finish this. Right. And then I've sent like 12 different texts. Yeah. Like, the, and you're like, oh, okay, no one cares as much our, as I do, but her. okay. <laughs> I'm also becoming the woman of quotes. Every time someone's like, tell me something, I'm like, oh, you know what? I just read this thing. But, um, yes. 
I do, I remember words really well. And so another woman I'm following who I think is so underrated is Martha Beck. So she's definitely one to subscribe to. Oh, she's brilliant. She's spiritual. She's smart. She's intersectional. She's inspirational. She's like what I need. Um, I love Glennon Doyle, obviously. I joined joining the club on that. But I love that both of them are like such great writers and thinkers, but they make it so easy to understand and really accessible in the discussions that they have. Um, so yeah, a lot of pod, a lot of podcasting there, Kara Swisher. Um, you'd say, how do you have time to like, you know, no, I know, I know how you do. I know it, but, but tell us, but tell our listening audience. Listen to a podcast, you know, I'll listen to a podcast, like taking off my makeup at night or like just get, sometimes I do that. Um, you know, that multitasking thing, commuting back to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I definitely listen, watch, Mm -hmm. read. So I think it's really, I think it's really important to like, always be collecting inspiration Mm. and always be collecting different ideas because I always tell this to my team. And then I know you want to get into the trends, but like Mm. it's part of trends. If you're not always absorbing, if you're not like a bee that's carrying pollen to different things, right? When you need the information, it won't be there. So I'm like the building of your brain and like what's there is an ongoing journey. And so if like we're getting a brief for a new business pitch, that's not the time to start thinking about this consumer or to start thinking about this category. We better have Mm -hmm. ideas in our head. Oh my God, I read this thing. This was in the New Yorker. I saw a thought piece in the Atlantic on this. Oh, there's this really cool influencer who's doing X. We already better have a lot of it in our heads because you can't start the discovery phase then, right? It's just not enough time. You can't be starting from ground zero. You should be starting from like 70% and then kind of like filling in the holes. So that's kind of like my life mission in terms of always being on that journey of collecting ideas, thoughts um, that then ultimately get remixed into the work. No, I love that so much because I think you said something so important in there also, which is that it's not, it's not even whether or not you're going to use that piece of information or that insight or that thing that you observed somewhere this afternoon. It's not that you're going to use that today or tomorrow or even this year, maybe, but the practice of doing it is valuable in and of itself. And then on top of that, the kind of like arsenal that you don't even know that, that, I mean, half the time I feel like that, but I know I, but I'm confident enough in how much I've consumed that I know it came from, from something that led me to another thought, to another thought. To another, you know what I mean, it's like that whole process feels totally organic once you actually have it up and running and especially for what you do, I feel like it's critical. I want to go back to one thing that you said before we dive into the other, yeah, the other topics, which is the point that you made about, um, what, where, where have I lost this train of thought? I was thinking this was such a Outside good point. Voices. And now, no, it was before that. It was Subject. something about the, I, st- I don't, I mean, I'm sad. I'm sad because I was so ready and I was like, I want to go back to something. Algorithms? The algorithms? It. It, yes. It was about algorithms. It's about the being fed, like about not knowing. And your point that you made about looking and doing a number of different searches around mental health and how that wound up putting you back to the same information. I just want you to speak a little bit more on that. Cause I feel like for anyone who is listening, who is not in any area of what, of what we are coming from here who has less exposure to that. I just want to like be really able to clarify that in a, in a sound way and and get some details on it because I totally agree with you. And it's very frustrating. I mean, this kind of like crystal was crystallized me in an anecdote by a girlfriend of mine. Who's very brilliant, works in a completely different field. 
and told me that like they were searching for a dress, an expensive, you know, I, I was thinking about getting this expensive dress. It was amazing. Mm. And then I have to tell you, it popped up like in my Facebook and it was a sign that I should buy it. Right. Oh God. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Oh like, no. Help. Tell you we're being followed. Um, me. Not to create paranoia, but obviously all everything we search against. Right. Right. We get that content, back, but not just in those platforms. So I could be, you know, obviously searching something from Saks or from yeah. Macy's or Bloomies or Williamson Sonoma, and then kind of get served an ad on Instagram, right? Because yeah. these these searches, um, you know, are connected and and there's a way that they can be scraped from platform and then served back to you. And so what the algorithms do is they feed us more of what they think we want, which is based on our previous searches. So you're going to, you know, if you're yeah. searching for um, content on weight loss, which this is your space. And by mm. the way, I have to say like meeting you has been so awesome. I love your podcast. I love your social channel. You. So I'm also super honored to get to chat with you today. I didn't get to say that in the upfront, but <laughs> you have a good energy and vibe. So I really do appreciate that in people. So thank you so much. Oh, um, but I it's have to say that you know, things like weight loss, right? Yeah. If you're trying to lose weight, you can go down some scary rabbit holes with search. And then you may just be minding your own business, looking at Instagram, your friends, some media, some influencers. And then you start getting, you start getting served like weight loss content. And as a nutritionist, of course, you know, yeah. the range of weight loss content can look like, and it's, oh it's really, it's really scary. So it's not the universe bringing you content that you should have. This isn't yes. serendipity. This is <laughs> by design. So people just need to listen. Yeah. I'm not, we're all moving forward. We just need to have an awareness. And I think we need to be really intentional with content now and say that like seeking things out because they're not going to, things that are not in your comfort zone are not going to be served to you right now. Yes. So you need to ask a friend, you know, what are they reading? Try a new sub stack, go to a magazine rack, mm -hmm. um, but really try to branch out. Otherwise what happens also with extreme thinking, if somebody has like extreme thoughts in any direction about like say politics, everyone's favorite topic to talk about on the podcast and you're searching <laughs> for that. That's the content you're getting then on YouTube, right. right? That's the content that's being served. So it's like you're living in this echo chamber of um, being connected to like-minded content versus content that's challenging your point of view. And I think that is obviously problematic for many reasons, um, but that is something that's very real. And so, I mean, I could go off on a tangent, but I, I really do believe that, um, you know, just as in terms of part of people's like high school education, middle school, middle school education, there needs to be a real awareness of, um, of algorithms and how information served and, um, you know, sources that it's coming from, et cetera. Cause it can, you know, you can play it out into some scary rabbit holes, but just in terms of that media diet, it's super important to be mindful, aware, and to seek out other perspectives because they're not going to be fed yes. to you. Yes. They're not going to be fed to you. It's just so well said. Thank you. All right. So I want to go to your trends report for a moment because I, I have more, I have more thoughts on this. I have more questions to ask. You I have about a thousand questions that pop up every time you answer one question, but that's okay because you're welcome back anytime and we will get to these first and then we'll have, we'll have you just come back for part two. Is in your, in your trends report, which I loved, and I will absolutely link in our episode notes so that um, listeners can can check this out and, and deep dive a little bit more, but I loved it. And I feel like you were so on the mark on, on everything, but a couple of these that I, I feel like have a really unique, um, angle for 
the sort of better for you, healthier lifestyle yeah. kind of space. I want you to tell us a little bit about AI and where you see that impacting any area of content and creative um you know, work, any area of, of creative work, and then also any area of the, the kind of like better for you space for brands in that space. How do you think AI is going to look in 2023 and beyond? And what are some of the platforms that you're seeing come up now that either you're excited about, afraid of, or somewhere in between? Because I feel like it's probably that one. <laughs> beyond. I mean, for me, and I'll, it's a little bit of storytelling, but, um, I think where I started to get excited about mm. AI was I was scrolling. Um, I think I was actually reading a men's magazine. It might've been actually one of my husband's mm. and they referenced this really cool AI art show and it was called as if nothing happens. So I click into this Whoa. art show and it's all of it's, it's, it's poignant, right? Cause it's all of these celebrities that we have lost icon, mm. Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, princess Diana. Um, but as if nothing happened, it actually used Tupac, it actually used AI to show what they would look like if they were still alive. So you see like geriatric Kurt Cobain. And it's like, wow, it just like was so provocative because it just, it's just such a simple yeah. idea, but it's like, it made you think like, what would have happened if, if he lived, right? Like right. life can take a completely different path. One of Michael Jackson was so resonant too, because it was as if he didn't, you know, his life went in a different direction and he didn't have any of the plastic surgery. So it actually formed like what he could have looked like as an adult. So it just like really captivated me. And I was like a little bit of an AI hater. But I'm like, yeah. There's actually some cool, really cool things we can do if we partner with our brains, right? With yes. AI. So I, the way I wrote the trend, thinking about what we're going to see this year and the next few years ahead is I, you know, I always like things that are going to be memorable or sticky. So I said, you know, AI gets fly finally, because yeah. it's been a lot of talk of like scary AI and it's here in a lot of different dimensions. But I think the key is not to go like this and really fight it off. I think the key is to sort of ride the wave with like some common sense, yes. <laughs> um, you know, and see what are the ways that, you know, AI, we can embrace AI to be helpful tools, companion partners versus like coming for our jobs is probably the most common phrase, right? That you, that you hear and people are playing with chat GPT right now and seeing that it can sort of like write blog posts. And, you know, there's a lot of debates happening, but I, in some ways, in my opinion, anyway, those debates are that it doesn't matter because it's arrived and it can do these things. So what are, what are the ways that we can use it? So the, you know, the two pockets that, you know, I I'm thinking about it in with some enthusiasm one, and it's definitely, um, you know, just to quote a little bit from, from, um, Gartner, because they do obviously some great work and sort of predict, you know, predictions with content in the communications industry and different industries. Mm. But the way they talk about it is generative AI. So AI that really generates something completely new, which is sort of what was used in this art exhibit. And I think they said, you know, their prediction, Gartner predicted that like right now, almost 1% of content that you might see is generated. And in a few years, it's going to be 10%, right? right? So that's like, 1000% increase. So thinking about how AI could be used to generate like, you know, imagery or ideas that maybe human beings wouldn't have if there wasn't sort of that interaction. Um, so again, that is scary, right? As a creative person, people are like, it's going to take our jobs, but it does need some collaboration, right? So maybe there is a world where you could brainstorm with AI in the future, mm -hmm. right? You can almost, for people that are freelancers or consultants, maybe that becomes like a teammate that you could use. So I think that there are some in the generative space 
um, some some really fun possibilities. We actually partnered with an AI app for our like holiday greeting card for M Booth. Ooh. Our team created this really fun thing, and we said like, tell us how your year went. What did you wear? What did you drink? What did you eat? I'll send it to you, even though it's late. Yes. We use, you know, we created this fun Mad Lib, and people imprinted what they did, what their, how their year landed. What's the year? You know, what's your word of the year? I was like drained, you know. And yeah. then basically, I got two <laughs> Negroni drinking slugs. I was like. Um, in Uggs, I was like, that might have been my 2022, right? It was sort of like, you know, took everything that you said and created this like funny abstract drawing. So there was like a fun way oh God, that you can create with AI. Um, so that's like kind of in the generative space. And then, you know, I think what's exciting is McKinsey has been talking a lot around the possibilities in research, right? Mm. That, that AI can bring. So if you think about obviously the you know, the journey of medical research or scientific research and, you know, being a nutritionist, I'm sure you're well aware of, um, I don't want to call it tedious in any way, but it's very long-winded, right? It's very exact. So how do we deploy AI to compress those timelines, right? To maybe bring drugs to market quicker or to find solutions faster. So I Mm -hmm. think with the AI, you know, it's here. I think a way to think about it is not this big ominous thing, but how do you break it down into the different you know, things that it can do to make it less intimidating and thinking about how do you partner or how do you make it a companion? Or maybe if you are a nutritionist and you're writing tons of blog posts about like very basic things, maybe yes, there's an app that can help you edit it quicker, right? Yes. Maybe there is, you know, maybe there is a tool that can pick up, you know, some, some things maybe that you missed. So I think the key is really to not be so scared that you're staying away. I think actually leaning into it and trying to learn in terms of where it can complement your work is is the way you know people won't won't be intimidated anymore right you'll you'll embrace it and figure out a way to make it work for you um and i think that's probably the bigger right the bigger opportunity than just kind of upping the anxiety which a thousand percent no one needs it and also i mean i have two two big thoughts on this one is that i i think the amazing limitation of generative AI, at least for, for the time being, is that the what you get out of it is only going to be as good as your input. So it so getting creative with inputs is its own challenge, right? Like it's its own new way of doing your current job, whatever you're doing, because you have to find new ways to say certain things so that you can train any AI platform, bot, algorithm, whatever it is, so that so that you can get out of it the the maximum capacity, right? I also think the other amazing component of it is that focusing on the, it's going to take our job piece of it is just a waste of time. Like I I feel like I was that person. I was that person with Instagram, for example, (laughs) with TikTok also, for example, like I was that with every social media platform that currently exists. I was like, First of all, when Instagram really started to blow up, I worked in a 24, I would say, I'm going to call it a 24-7 content operation. Oh, wow. <laughs> working at a magazine. And so I was like, I'm producing content all day. I can't do this at, on top of, I'm not going to produce more content on top of the content I'm already doing. So then, but then you realize that later on in your life, when you still have the same account that you have but now it's the time to actually invest in that account. <laughs> but I, but I can't say I didn't. I don't wish I had done so a little bit earlier. So like, I don't want to be in that position again when it comes to AI. I don't want to be find myself in a place where I'm like I poo pooed this at first because I thought it's too much. There's already so much content going on. You know, like I, I'd like to, I'd like to experiment with it to the extent that it's beneficial and leave the rest rather than saying no, no. 
that's that's scary. I'm too intimidated. I'm not going there. Whatever else. I love that. I feel like with any big change in technology and other places, it's like you don't want to be on your back foot, right? right. You want to be leaning into it um, is really always going to be the most prosperous strategy, right? Um, just in terms of, you know, prospering as an individual and learning. Um, no one's going to stop AI right now, right? There needs to be obviously uh, discussions around ethics, et cetera, implications. Um, and that needs to be front front of brain, right? As we, as we all... Um, you know, get into the space. No one's doing it. Bl- I mean, no one should be doing it blindly, in my opinion. But um, it is, I think, about how do we make it the companion? Maybe, and maybe it pushes humans to innovate in new ways for content. Right? If this could be so easily replicated, what can't be? And maybe that pushes us to think about different formats, right, and different ways of communicating um, things that aren't top of mind right now because they kind of don't have to be. So I do think that there 100%. is also a way that it can, you know, push us toward things that are even more unique in the future. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I'm, I'm digesting it, um, you know, for the, for the time being. But I think, again, better to get excited. And, that, and that's yes. actually a little trick I use for myself sometimes when I am nervous about something or stressed, yeah. I trick myself into making it excitement. I love exciting. that. <laughs> it is exciting. We're excited about it. <laughs> We have a whole new perspective and it's called being excited about it. With with that, with that, from a content marketing standpoint, are there, are there things, let's say, let's say three, I don't know. I'm sure you have more than three, but, but however many you want to give us, are there three trends that you feel like you're seeing pop up right now that are maybe unexpected things that weren't even on the trends list that that you put together are there things that you feel like with with the brands that you're working with or the accounts that you're currently working on that feel like oh that's a new approach that we're going to bring to this brand for this year what are a few of those and and how did you how did you come to them i would say a big and if you want to think specifically kind of like in the content creative space mm. i think that you know, a huge thing that I'm seeing is like, a t- I'm going to call it a TikTokification of content. Um, so meaning that, you know, when we all entered Instagram, it was like, let me look at the perfect plate. Let me like show off my engagement ring next to a Negroni and like, right? Yes. Um, or, you know, how do I, t- you know, how do I do the Instagram influencer sort of stance and how do I look perfect and beautiful and curated? We are like in an uncurated world. Very um, much. I think that the way content that has like originated on TikTok and is now making its way to reels and now being designed for reels um, has really captured the imagination of people um, and has just given them something to relate to, something to pass on, something to remember. So again, I know we brought up Betches, but I think it's like, I love Betches moms. I know I mentioned Mm. that before, but to me, it's such a hot take on like parenting and being a mom today. Like one of the, I definitely encourage you just to follow it. Uh, Like one of the pieces of content from the past year for me that was like probably like like most sticky and memorable, right? Just among a group of girlfriends was it's like a bunch of women like dancing at a club, like clearly on a bachelorette party. And there's the one woman with like the top knot sipping water with like the pregnant belly. And she's like, POV, you're the one woman pregnant on a bachelorette. Cause we've all <laughs> gone there for friends. And it's <laughs> no reason to be there. Right. Um, and it's Why like, am I here? One, like bopping your head to shoop in the corner. Right. Like, yeah. Drinking water. Like Just when can I go checking your clock? Like right. if I get to like 1145 in my lame, I am pregnant. You're like, 
bouncing around what time you could leave in your head it just resonates. It's so real. It's so yes. engaging and fun and relatable. And so social is really going in that in that direction. And it's sometimes it's hard for brands to get their head around because they want it to be perfect. And sometimes they right. still want it to look like an ad or a billboard. But being real is and relatable and current is so much better for a brand than being like perfect, right? Like no one cares yes. the product is placed on the counter. People are like, oh my God, you get me. And that's exactly what happens at that moment in my life. Um, therefore you are going to, because you know me and you get it, I have trust yes. in you to kind of create that thing for me that I need to fill whatever need that is, whether it's cleaning product, beauty product, food yeah. product. So I think tic the TikTokification of content is fun, but it can be like a little bit, um, you know, uncomfortable. Another one I'll give you, I'm going to call it like trend jacking. So I think that a lot of um, brands want to be obviously in front of consumers, want to be at the center of culture. Um, and so it's really a way to think about what are the trends of the day and how does my brand participate in those? But I think mm. the key is how do you bring value and do it kind of in a way that brings integrity, which I know I mentioned earlier, and how do you ensure within that trend jacking space, right, where you're capitalizing on a trend for a client, um, an example of one we did in partnership with a client without kind of, you know, telling the whole story was around yeah. the Choco Taco. Remember when they yes. didn't it anymore? So yeah. we worked with Spirits brand and quickly collaborated with a bartender to create like a Choco Teeny cocktail like inspired so you could still get the taste. Um, and it was actually just like a really fun story. It was like a feel good story. It was like gave a hat tip to this, the Choco Taco, which everybody loves, but here's like a new way you can reinvent it through this cocktail super fun, you know, collaborative idea. But, um, you know, I think the key with some of those real-time ideas and some of that trend jacking, as I would call it, is you don't want to appropriate. You also don't want to steal an idea from a creator, right? Yeah. You want to make sure that as you're moving on the trend, you give credit where credit is due, you partner in the right ways, you compensate in the right ways, because Nothing's a worse look than a big brand taking an idea of like an, you know, of an influencer oh creator that came up with a word or came up with a trend and then capitalized on it without in some way spotlighting them, compensating them. Yes. Um, you know, an exposure just isn't enough anymore, right? People want a return for their work. So we don't want to be predatory in any of that either in the mm -hmm. content marketing space. So I think that's another um, I think that's another big watch out from an opportunity, but it needs to be done strategically, carefully, and, you know, through the lens um, and through those various lenses, you know, just yeah. to ensure that we're not stealing, you know, ideas. A thousand, a thousand percent. I also, I also wonder about something else that you said about, about the brands that resonate with, with you. And I, I found this to be, <laughs> I've had my own challenges with this in, in different work phases and different professional stages. But I, I feel like something that has often been the disconnect, and maybe this is changing, and maybe this brings us a little bit more to long-termism, which we can get to, but there's something that I've personally experienced is that it, it can be really difficult to identify for someone when you're in the conference room or you're sitting around a table or pitching to a client or wherever you might be. It can be really difficult to say, this isn't resonating with me because I think that what you're going for is something that might appeal to you who is, who is a different generation. And, and like to, to just kind of like get down to that sort of brass tacks of it is like, I get why you think this would work. 
I disagree with you because who you're going for or who this brand is targeting is very different from who you imagine them to be. Totally. <laughs> I think you're I totally would love right. your take on that. Yes. No, it, it happens. Um, it can be awkward. It can feel subjective, right? Yeah. It can feel subjective. You always have, yes. you, know, you can lean on the data thing if you have right. it in your hands. But I think one thing to remember about trends, and it's another one I actually talked about um, in the piece I wrote for PR Week, which is... Um, Trends tend to start young, younger in Asia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're going to yep. have your exception to the rule, like the granny chic trend, for example. Yes. Millennials embracing Laura Ashley again. Yeah. Um, or coastal grandmas, which we all love. Love oh. a coastal grandma. Cannot get on board. I can't. My Laura, my Laura Ashley days were, they started and, and ended quickly. But coastal grandma, I'm here for you. Yeah. Jim and I just got rid of like, I literally had my college Laura Ashley comforter and we would like use it on the, we were just like, this thing has got to go. My husband was like, right, we're like, done. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, that lasted four years of Wake Forest. Um, no one wants to know, but um, it went through a lot. Okay. <laughs> we've been through a lot. Yes. Most trends do, um, again, with some of those exceptions, start earlier. Yeah. you know, with younger people and then kind of like make their way up. And I talk a lot about um, also in this piece, what I'm sort of calling Zatitude, mm. which is many trends this year that really took up space, like quiet quitting, you know, obviously yeah. is one of them. Act Your Wage was like one of my favorite movement, movements. For those not familiar, that was basically it originated with Gen Z or saying like, you know what? I'm going to do the work that you're actually paying for me for. So if it's $40,000, I'm going to do $40,000 worth of work at an entry level job. I'm not like here for the opportunity. Now we right. may see a little bit of a vibe shift on that because of the economy we're going into, but it did make people and made older generations. I'm like, I'm a geriatric millennial, which I'll also talk yeah. about if you want me to. Yes, please. I'm 42, I'm 1980, but it, it even made people in other generations or I have boomer yeah. colleagues that are like, I'm not checking Slack on vacation. And that is, I call it like Zatitude. It's like a Gen Z attitude yes. that everyone wants to adopt because actually there's something there's something to learn there. Um, and I think it's also starting to permeate things like fashion, decor choices, even like yeah. who people are dating. And I think um, the I think the desire to have like a little zatitude of our own, like at first there was almost like a rift between Gen Z and some of the older generations. They called us chuggy. They made fun of how we put our hair. <laughs> yes. The jeans were out. So it was like hard, but like the relationship, the relationship has evolved. And I think- yeah you know, other generations are looking to Gen Z as like a trend or, you know, a place where trends are oriented. Um, and so I do think we'll see, you know, I just don't want to do low rise jeans again. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, prepared. I've decided I won't. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that you concur with that because we don't want to. Okay. <laughs> just... they're, they're a dynamic generation. I mean, yes. they're sort of bringing back raves again and, thinking about like weird core decor at home, like how eccentric it can be bringing back like those Bixie cuts, which is like the Bob Pixie combo. Right. And, you know, you're seeing older generations like take note and say like, I want, I want to have a little bit of that attitude. And I think a lot of it is d derived from being also in lockdown for many years and mm -hmm. almost craving more youthful life affirming kind of like experiences. Um, it's already over between, you know, Cher and her, 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 her young buck, her, um, boyfriend, or I think she was in a situation ship, if you will, That's um, right. with Alexander Edwards. Yes. I think she's actually technically a millennial, but I think you'll even see some like May, December romances, you know, with Gen okay. Z's. 
and, and um, people of, of older generations sort of blossom and be spotlighted in pop culture. But I do think, again, we are seeing trends orient that way. So yeah. to answer your question, I think, you know, you're 90% of the time better off looking at the trends of a younger generation to then predict where the older generations will be headed, probably about 12 to 18 months behind them, right? They're an yes. indicator of where culture is going. So I always try to like teach my teams and clients, like when in doubt, like sort of like age down a little bit when it comes to some of those emerging trends, because we are seeing the majority of them come from younger people. Yes. I mean, what, what also strikes me about this and what brings us back to your specific role now also, I, I think, although you'll tell me, is that what makes this, I think, challenging is that there's such a desire, certainly certainly in on the corporate side, there can be such a desire to be everything for everyone. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes that's where the market's missed. It's not, that, it's not because of the tone is, uh, is generationally different. It's because the wanting to be all things makes you nothing. Right. Like, so sometimes that can be really impossible and really hard to kind of get some, you know, influence enough internally to like really make that that well known. But also there's this other component of it that is like the being everything to everyone means that you can pick up on something culturally and say that actually that even if you're going against the trend that's okay too. It's a choice. Like it's a, it can mm -hmm. be a conscious choice. Like to say, this doesn't actually, our brand doesn't quite meet that, but we can meet the sentiment behind it by doing X, Y, Z and still lean into this decision, whatever it might be. Totally. I think, I think you're spot on. I think that finding those insights and finding those truths for your audience. I mean, I do think that, you know, um, it's also important to, you know, sometimes I'll use the generational lenses, but Everybody in a generation is also not created the same. Right. And there are micro communities and subcultures that exist. And I always think that's an interesting way to also cut audiences. So like there are beauty fanatics, right? There are beauty fanatics that are mm. in their 50s, in their 20s, in their 40s, right? So it's like, is it really, um, are you really trying to talk to millennials and Gen X? Or are you trying to talk to a, a beauty fanatic? That's a person that spends, you know, 250 bucks plus a month on beauty supplies and like what is that common language there's a brand i want to shout out um it's a black owned brand called b condoms we do not work with them although i would love to work with you uh, <laughs> no, there are, did you hear that b it's condoms. a fantastic brand okay. i think that the gentleman that created it is jason panda and i am like obsessed with their social feed check it out i'm literally i'm writing this down in addition to the drift that's the other thing i need to look at after we oh, yes, leave so each other cool. But okay. B condoms, their Instagram presence, read, you know, their origin story. I think that Jason is in Atlanta. We've never kind of connected or anything. I've just read about him and following the company, but it's such a like sex positive community. And you can mm. tell it's not for, you know, and I have no insight into their strategy, but just like, you know, as an expert looking at their yeah. channel, you can tell this is like a sex positive community is what they're creating. And they're also centering, you know, not necessarily heterosexual relationships, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's for everybody who's sort of like sex positive. Um, they talk a lot about black love, you know, specifically on the channel. They talk about queer love. They talk, you know, they talk about, um, you know, different relationships outside of monogamy. Mm. What does it look like? And it's just like a slideshow. And I'm like, I am like learning about a thrall, you know, and right. new, you know, ways people are coming together. And I support all the things, of course. Right. Um, but they have this piece of content, which I like absolutely loved. And it was essentially like, 
you'll go and see it and I'll send it to you. But it's basically like when he tells you it's too big for the condom, right? Or the condoms, yes. for, you know, yeah. and they take one of the B condoms and they have this like large, it's like a Christmas glass Christmas tree. And they're like, <laughs> they stretch the B condom over the Christmas tray. They're like, tell him he's wrong. You know, it's just like so perfect. Simple. But I'm like, it's sex positive. It shows a product benefit, right? Yes. It's like so relatable. We've all been there. Yes. And I was like, that to me is such an, a beautiful example of like what content marketing should be, right? It's, yes. not about, like, it's not about having like the perfect table set, right? It's about like what's useful, what's current, what's real, what's true. Um, and how do you, and how do you get that story out there, right? In a way that's compelling. Um, so definitely a great feed to share. And when I look at the content that they create, it's, it's just like super inspiring. And I think, you know, things in that spirit mm. will be kind of the way forward for content marketing. It's also like more efficient to create just even from like a production and a cost perspective. A thousand percent. But I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing this might be way off, but I'm guessing <laughs> this example went up around the end of the year, went up. I, I, now I'm really into the pun. Now I've really gone down the bee condoms rabbit hole of puns. But like, but like, I'm guessing this Christmas tree was erected at the end of 2022. <laughs> so like, you're also meeting the temporal landmark of being like, yeah, it's Christmas, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It doesn't have to be just one thing. You can do. You can do more than one thing at the same time. Totally. In an in a way that actually resonates and works. No, absolutely. Yes. I love that. My favorite things in life or when you can do one thing that like meets multiple. Yes. I'm like, that's when you have true alignment. It like feels a good use of time and spirit. So I'm totally with you. What else? If you could give us another one, another good one, let's say maybe in food and beverage, if you're, if you're up for it of someone that you feel like, yeah, they, I really get where I really get what they're trying to say. I really feel like they're, they're meeting their community where they are. They're not, they're, they're, firing on all cylinders. Like this one's really resonating for me. What would you say? Totally. Um, I might actually give you a bit of a client example if that's okay. Or if yes. Oh, please. Yes. With, and um, we did work with Evolution Fresh, which is a Starbucks fresh juice yes, brand. That's right. Um, yeah. And, you know, so much of the juice category had been about deprivation juicing, yes. cleansing, like getting it out. And we sort of like strategically worked with them. Obviously it's a partnership, but talked about like, what if the juice that you get could actually be additive to your life? So let's talk about yeah. the good things you're getting from it versus like what it's washing away or cleansing you from. It was just sort of like a completely different energy into the category. Yeah. So we're like, what if it meant not a cleanse and a get rid of, but what if it was really about abundance, right? Mm. And bringing kind of like squeezing more joy out of your day, squeezing more joy out of the moment, mm. um, you know, with the extra vitamins or the extra nutrients that you're getting kind of like packed into this juice. Mm. And once we unlock that, the team was really able to just create all sorts of, you know, interesting content. You can check out their Instagram feed, but there's a lot there in the body positivity space. Cause there was also this feeling like juicing is for like skinny, like white women. And it's like, mm. how do you, and the worlds of people that are interested in juicing, cause many people are right. But in, um, you know, bringing that content to life, telling those stories, we also did, um, you know, we did a lot of content that was also like funny, you know, and, and yeah. put humor and centered that there was a piece that the team did 
during lockdown where, you know, we were all trying to figure out how do you work out at home. And the, you know, we have a woman that's actually, we did like a weightlifting routine with juices, like with the, the gallon funny. juices and showed how you yeah. can actually like transform those things into like lightweights at home. And what could you do to like, when you're, when we're all going stir crazy, but yeah. it was just a real shift kind of like in a strategy um, that made it more relatable, that made it more inspiring for consumers. And that kind of changed the way people thought about juice. Mm. Um, so that was one, I think, on a strategic level where, you know, content marketing could really make a difference. And I think it's really kind of going back to the like, what is the whole category about? And then how do you disrupt that narrative? How do you tell a more yes. inclusive narrative? Right. Yes. And that's kind of, I think, at the crux of, I think, a lot of the best work, you know, that we see. And I think like, and, you know, again, going back to be condoms where it's like, if you look at the category, it can be like highly mm. just like sexualized, but sex positive is different from highly right. sexualizing something. So right. it seems like Jason and his team has found like really fresh space there. Um, but yeah, I think the disruption piece is also, and the inclusion piece are really important in content marketing mm. um, and thinking beyond the basic audiences into, you know, what are the micro communities of people? You know, we also did some, some content for them that was really like around, you know, for people that are really into cycling or people that are really into yoga, we did mm. real-time content that was centered around hot girl walks, but everybody just wanted to go out and strut yes. and see decent Lycra and spandex. Yes. And, you know, that this product was, you know, that perfect thing to take on a hot girl walk. So, you know, capitalizing on the culture, mm. but doing it in a way that kind of also included, um, you know, we showed people of different shapes and sizes with that trend. So really important just to, you know, also, I think, open up the storytelling, open up the conversation um, and invite people, you know, into these brands in, you know, in refreshing ways, mostly. It's so good. There's so many more things that I want to talk to you about, but I can't, but sadly, I have to I have to let you go. So I have to ask you, Our oh, You're a wonderful host and I'll hang anytime. Oh my gosh, you must. The things. You must. You're going to have to come back. I have to ask you our, our, our sort of hallmark, our last, our last, the hallmark question of this podcast, which is like, what is the most annoying thing that you have seen, let's say in the last year in the wellness space like what's the one thing that you're just like ew i'm so over this and you exactly. um, no i thought about this because i've obviously listened to your podcast um before so i think two one is mouth taping make it go away it's scary for me as a parent what even is it what even is, the fact that i don't even know what that is makes me very upset and afraid hi darling i just got a little visitor you see hi. here are my sisters charlie and harper oh are my god hi, Hi, babies. Oh my God! There's a hi, hi guys. Welcome. <laughs> Love you. Okay. Mouth taping is something that people do because they believe when you sleep, you should sleep with your mouth closed and breathe through your nose. So it's a very sweet. And then the other thing that needs to go bye bye is just the framework of anti aging. Yes. Um, aging is the alternative, and I think we continue to see that. Oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry, honey. Oh. Come hug me. I think we continue to see that narrative play out in really unproductive ways for women. A thousand percent. All right. I'm, I'm going to, oh my God. It's honestly a delight. Tell everyone where they can find you and then I will have to leave you, sadly. I'm on Instagram at Adriana Jules or LinkedIn. Um, Love it. This has been a pleasure. You're a wonderful this host. This was amazing. You're warm and lovely and anytime you want to talk. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.